0: Welcome to a special 2018 North American Summit edition of What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, recorded at our podcast parlor in Boston, you'll hear Tamar Moy and Bob Luchetti discuss activity-based settings.
1: So good afternoon. I'm Tamar Moy. I'm the director of workplace strategy and human experience for Newmark Knight-Frank's New York region. And I'm here today to talk with a a mentor of mine, um, really a pioneer in the field of workplace strategy. I'm here today with Bob Lucchetti. Um, Bob is um, an architect and an industrial engineer who has been um, theorizing about activity-based settings uh, since 1985 and this concept today is really um, common knowledge and and really the way that folks tend to design environments, built environments for, for workplaces. And so I find that looking back at what Bob was thinking of when he was doing his initial research back in 1985, looking at the lessons learned, looking at what came to fruition and using that as a framework to hypothesize about office planning in the future is a really um, inspirational and useful framework. And so I want to start the conversation today and say, hi, Bob. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. And can you t- tell us briefly? about the core elements sure, of activity-based tomorrow.
0: setting. Yes, uh, the, the offices activity settings is, is, is based on a concept is that one kind of workstation or one kind of office doesn't do everything you need. And, and there's there's a classic conflict about cubicles and workstations basically being open. It's better because you communicate more, or offices are better because you can concentrate more. And, and, and the truth is, neither one of them is really ideal.
1: Right, and you yeah. saw that back in 1985.
0: Uh, in the, 1985, I had a partner, Philip Stone, uh, we were both teaching at Harvard at the time. He was a professor of psychology and social relations, and I was an assistant professor of, uh, of design and architecture. And uh, basically, we decided to participate in a competition sponsored by the French Ministry of Culture called the Competition for a New Office of Furniture. And we thought, well, that's interesting. He wanted to do it. I wanted to do it for different reasons. I'm an architect, a physical guy. He's a uh, social scientist, but he also has a very strong background in technology. He was a pioneer in using computer or computational techniques to do social analysis very early, like in the 60s. So his notion was that this technology is gonna change the way we work. it allows allow us to do things and move around and coordinate things that we couldn't otherwise do. So a multi-setting environment is one where you have access to closed settings, open settings, group settings, individual settings. Dedicated settings, shared settings, any number of things.
1: Right, and the technology that was coming out at that time. I mean, that that was the beginning yeah. of. It was 1983
0: mobile, that right? we actually actually did the did the original competition, okay. entry, which we won. Yep. And uh, and then in 1985 we published a paper in the Harvard Business Review called "Your Office Is Where You Are," Okay. which was basically a way of explaining what this principle, what the principle, what the idea is, what mm-hmm. the idea was, mm-hmm. and uh, that was quite well regarded, well accepted, I should say. It was a popular article. Uh, and it kind of began the sort of the change that we thought would take about 10 years. Right. When we did the competition, we sort of said, here's 1985, here's what it'll be like in 1995. Okay. So it'll be flat screens, we won't have as much filing, because in 1985, we had terminals. Right. We had, we had file cabinets, piles. we had bookshelves. Miles and miles, yeah. Lots of paper, lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we figured it would go away, but the, the truth is it took a lot longer than 10 years. Because
1: we're still talking about it here. Yeah, in, in no, 2018. So it took, took till
0: the mid, till really 2000. 15, 2010, we saw it sort of become ubiquitous, become universally accepted as, a, as one of the one of the more common ways we look at this.
1: Right, right, and as and. Um you know as you look at how people are designing space today this premise of getting up and away from your desk and, and moving around the office for different activities is certainly considered best practice because there's so many implications for wellness and you know sitting is the new smoking and getting people up and moving and this idea of wanting collaboration and networking to happen and that's not happening by folks just sitting at their space and, and yes. not moving anywhere and I think a lot of the research today that people are talking about in our industry is about how open plan isn't really you know doing it for everybody it's not helping collaboration the way that people were originally intended so I think your research is now proving out to be you know uh, even more... in the
0: mid 80s because workstation work cubicle based planning or, or workstation panel based planning started in the mid 60s was Herman Miller which most people know uh, Robert Probst and Herman Miller came out with Action Office mm-hmm. which was panel based and it, it fit the American model because the American office space was basically big buildings with lots of uh, a large trays of open space that you basically rent and have to fit out. Right. And, and panel systems were very efficient. You could do it, them, move them around, reuse them. It made a lot of sense. But even by the mid '80s, 20 years later, people were questioning you know, cubicle land. It mm-hmm. was the beginning of the sort of the cartoon movement around that whole thing. Right. Uh, and and uh, uh, people were not sort of crazy about them. And also the corner office was beginning to be question, like, why are these people in corner offices? Is mm-hmm. it really about hierarchy? Mm-hmm. Which was not really the case anymore. It wasn't so much about that. The sort of egalitarian, egalitarian nature of communal work was, was changing. Mm-hmm. So uh, we said, well, why do we have to be one or the other? And right. why is a cubicle good at anything? Cubicle, isn't really, it's really an average of averages.
1: Yeah, that's you know?
0: right. So, so it doesn't really get the best of it. It's, it's, it's very satisfactory in a lot of ways. And by the way, at the time, digital which was a big computer company at the time, a cubicle was 10 by 10, hmm. 10 by 10.
1: That's an office these days. Yeah, it's yeah. more than an office. Yeah. You
0: know, Offices right. are eight by eight. Right. Uh, and, 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 and also IBM at the time, everybody was in offices. Digital, everybody was in cubes. They have the same kind of business. Mm-hmm. It's just they had different philosophies, different approaches.
1: So as you sort of defined activity-based settings, you know, back then, what was the framework that you used to sort of create them?
0: Yeah, that's a very important point, because it wasn't just about the physical space. It was about in order to determine what settings would be and what settings you need, you need to think about what's the program. In other words, what am I doing? Right. Well I'm reading reports, or I'm using a, a teleconferencing, mm-hmm. or I'm meeting with one or two people, which I do all the time. Right. Or I'm having lunch. I mean those are different activities. Then the question, where is it? Is it in one proxemic area to the to the people you most commonly work with, A your team? Or is it basically uh, in in, in, uh, going to a different location to visit a client? Uh, Like with salespeople, they've always been out with the clients. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about, Mm -hmm. basically. The next next one was time. How long is it? When does it happen? Uh, uh, Time is really important. How long is it? Is it scheduled or not? You know, a lot of things are ad hoc, and people say ad hoc meetings are the most important. Well, that's not necessarily true, but they are important. Right? Uh, Who's in it? Participants. How many people? Who are they? What's the hierarchy? Are they internal to my company, are they external, are they both? Mm-hmm. Is, there a, is there is there a security issue, a confidentiality issue? Is there some other reason why you know I, my behavior would be different? Right. Uh, there's the authority who controls it, who's in charge of it. Basically, you're on company time, you're on your own time.
1: Mm-hmm. Who gets
0: to run it? You know, in the early days, these things were the more senior people could go to a, go. This is a true story. Senior people could go to an office and ask someone to leave so they can have a meeting. No. This happened, because that's what it was. They right. had to have meetings, they needed space, right? you know? And then last but not least is the one that, as an architect, I'm actually most interested in is the boundary. Hmm. How enclosed is it? And when we talk about enclosure, we talk about visual enclosure and acoustic enclosure. Right. Two quite different privacy, things. Privacy,
1: essentially. Privacy,
0: privacy, yeah. privacy. Mm-hmm. And visual privacy, pretty easy. Crucible privacy very difficult to do. Right.
1: Expensive. Expensive, and
0: difficult. Expensive, difficult, and not easy to move around. Mm-hmm. So that's why we don't see as much of it. And we thought there'd be more of it than there is. Right. Back then we thought it would be 50-50. We still don't see as much of it as we thought we would. Okay. And we think we probably should do more of it.
1: So, as people start to look at the future office um, and start to understand kind of what activities would be happening there, I think that what we're saying in our premise is that you can still take the same framework. It's essentially like a who, what, where, when, why, you know, how. Um, aspect, and and apply that to theorizing about the types of activities that will need to happen in the future office, Um, which can be very similar to the types of activities that are happening now, but knowing what we know about technology and mega trends with regards to demographics and workforce, we're sort of thinking that the workforce of the future will be more um, remote, more distributed, right? Um, They're going to be, you know, Um, in urban centers, essentially, but also the technology will enable them to not have to come into the office to do that heads-down work. And when they do come into the office, we're hypothesizing that they're coming in for that social interaction, um, that teamwork that really needs that sort of face-to-face human connection point, so that the offices themselves, when we think about the impact on the built environment, will likely be smaller, because it's a distributed workforce, it's an, um, a consulting-based workforce, a freelance-based workforce, so there's literally fewer people that need to be accommodated in this kind of way. Um, and when they do come in, it's for, that, it's for social collaborative spaces that can kind of help with this ideation and, and teaming that, that they need. Um, and that there will likely be some dedicated desks and shared touchdown desks and maybe they're in activity-based neighborhoods, kind of speaking to your activity-based settings from before. And so maybe there's like a, a, a place where you go to to make phone calls, a place that you go to to eat lunch, right? As you were saying, a place you might go to for uh, focused work and, and things of that nature. And I think that knowing what we know about the technology that we're looking at today, right? You were looking at technology in eighty five and that and that was speaking to digitization and the ability to move around. That hasn't changed. It's just gotten so much more developed. Yeah, well and you
0: know at the time, so you know there was the, the first cell phone in eighty four, eighty five, this first cell phone. CD players were replacing, replacing tapes and records. Right. You know, the first Mac and the first PC, which means individual computer. I could have my own computer. Who ever thought of this? Why would I want one? Right. What would I do with it? <laughs> uh, well, that was actually happening mm-hmm. really, really quickly. And then uh, uh, the, uh, we managed to find, at the time, a small handheld little device that was made for salespeople to download sales data that we sort of imagined. If everybody had one of these, they could talk to each other, coordinate each other. They could basically use it as a way of managing space. Right. Managing their interaction. There you go. And now we have phones.
1: That's right. So so,
0: it's way beyond what we thought. That's right. That's
1: right. And I mean, you look at the wearables, you look at the augmented reality, you look at the holograms. Like These are things that only further sort of support this mobility concept and the idea that you can kind of not be tied to any individual setting, right? And you can have meetings with people across the oceans that feel like they're right there. So really it's this idea of, of, um, you know, Taking away the the ties to the space, but it's in it's in like hyper mode now. So what what that means we think is that you're going to just have these environments that are so integrated with the kind of technology that you're, people aren't even going to need to think about it anymore. The the office itself is is almost going to feel like like a machine, right? It's going to be taking in data and sensing information about utilization and using that in real time to change um, the kind of space it's providing to better support its users at any given time, and people. Don't Even have to think about the technology any longer. It's hopefully, we think, going to be so integrated into the space and easy to use that it's going to be an interface um, that really just supports the activities that people are trying to have without them having to manipulate it that much. Um, I think also you you mentioned you've done a lot of work um, with the furniture systems. Um, I think a prediction that we have going forward in the future for activity-based settings is this idea of hyper-agility, and that space would be able to be kind of manipulated um, you know, f- from a furniture and partition system in a way that you can kind of meet the needs at any given time.
0: Yeah, it's much too complicated and time-consuming to do it right now, and so we don't get the nimbleness and, and agility that we would like to. We think is part of it. And I think that you'll see uh, uh, the service of providing office space, which has already consolidated real estate and facilities, mm-hmm. Bring in design and construction. Mm-hmm. So there'll be a more efficient framework in which we can do these things more quickly. Because building codes, uh, construction timelines, it's complicated. Okay. You throw a lot of stuff away. Yep. You throw all the board away. So, what what mechanisms can we use that will make it more efficient and easier? to reconfigure stuff and to get these different settings. And right. I've been working on that for a long time with companies and furniture companies trying to figure out how to do it. And it's not easy to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I was to say to you, Bob, you've done such an, an amazing job at being sort of a workplace futurologist you know, throughout your whole career. If I was to ask you to make some more you know, predictions going forward about what you kind of see the built environment for workplaces looking like in the future, do you have any ideas?
0: Well, you know, at this point, with, with the technology being, being so powerful and, 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 and uh, uh, exponentially getting quicker all the time, mm-hmm. I, think, I think sort of in theory in that the, the office eventually goes away. You know, there is no office. So, well, I, you know, how do we, what is that about? So I think, well, that's not going to happen. In, in my lifetime right in the in sort of foreseeable future but I think instead of looking at the office as one thing like the office office environment we have to look at it differently there are different kinds of offices the mainstream office which is which is efficient it's 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 uh, basically large organizations run by by by, by sophisticated real estate in in, in in property management companies and facilities management companies uh, that will still be around and we'll see uh, benching we'll see uh, uh, Large floor plates that that will still be with us, and that'll be the dominant kind because it's efficient, easy, yeah, it's efficient and easy. And we need easy, we need efficient to be competitive. Mm-hmm. But we'll also have the alternative, which which uh, we work is sort of around a lot these days. It's co-working, which is really the same thing done in a different way in terms of how you buy it. Right. Is it cheaper, supposedly, and right. hopefully, right. you know, basically? But I also think there's there's, there's the potential for the hospitality industry, which right now they run the hotels, they have food service, they have rooms, they have meeting rooms. They have. Why couldn't they also be providing co-working space? Because mm-hmm. they have all of that already, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so so I see different different industries getting into it mm. and making making it a faster, quicker thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I see it being sort of branded and themes. So they'll be like WeWork has a name and a brand and there's this kind and this kind for different right. kinds of cultures. Right. And then and then last but not least is the more radical stuff, which you hear about and see about in the media more, mm-hmm. uh, which is people working, you know, anywhere, working in the back of a car. Right. Uh, you know, that you'll see more of that, but mm-hmm. but that won't be, be that's more the of the dominant, entrepreneurial
1: stuff. Entrepreneurial. Of, yeah.
0: You know, so you have to really see this as a spectrum. Okay. Not as one thing.
1: Right. That makes good sense. All right. Well thank you Bob for helping provide the framework i think that it's it's pretty amazing um you know what you and, and phil saw back then has has really come to fruition and you know i think looking back on How you were able to sort of see the trends um, going forward will provide inspiration for a new generation of workplace futurologists. And so, you know, you have continued to inspire me. I've known you since 1997, when you were my first employer out of college, and we were working on some of these concepts with clients. And, you know, as as I've developed my career, you know, it's been really lovely to watch kind of what you have been saying all along really sort of play out. So I congratulate you on a workplace futurologist job. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, thank you for continuing to inspire us in the future.
0: Well thank you it's been it's been a long interesting it's like I say it took longer than we thought right it's been interesting to sort of see but it's hard to really predict the next the next step it's so fast yes and so ubiquitous yes and so powerful I don't really know how have it's going to handle out at the time we could sort of see okay typewriters are going to go away This is much more than that mm-hmm. this is really interesting and I do not it's really hard to almost predict.
1: like the possibilities are endless right so it's really hard They're to huge yeah you know implications are huge. Great. Thanks so much.
0: This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.